Leaving the world better than we found it isn't just a lofty idea for Sophie Howe. For the past seven years, it's been her job to think about how decisions we make today will affect our great-great-great-grandchildren. She is the world's first well-being of future generations commissioner in Wales. And she's finished her term. Now she's in New Zealand as a guest of Koitu, the Centre for Informed Futures. The centre issued a report reimagining Auckland's future, including a recommendation that we have our own Commissioner for Future Generations. Sophie will be in Auckland, Wellington and Christchurch talking about the job of holding public institutions accountable to citizens yet to be born. And Sophie Howe joins me now. Hi. Hi there. It's great to be with you. What is it about Wales that made it the first country in the world to have a commissioner for the well-being of future generations? Well, Wales has had quite a long history with sustainable development. When our um, parliament and our government was first established in 1999, the, um, the Act of Parliament which established it said that um, it had a clause in it which said sustainable development should be a central organising principle of the government, which is a, a bit of a lofty ambition, yeah. isn't it? But in reality, um, meant absolutely nothing. Um, and there was quite a frustration, really, that this wasn't um, you know, really being embedded in government. And we could see that so many of the problems that, um, you know, Wales has experienced intergenerational poverty, um, you know, poor health amongst particular communities. The fact that we have, you know, quite a, um, you know, a rich heritage in terms of mining and so on, which is important for jobs in our communities, mm. but actually has, you know, decimated a lot of our environment yeah. and contributed to, to carbon emissions. Um, there was a kind of frustration, really, that we needed to be looking to the future in terms of how we solve some of these big intergenerational problems. And so it was a, um, a particularly um, sassy, let's call her, um, environment minister who said it's not good enough that sustainable development is only seen as the businesses of the environment minister yeah. and actually if we're going to do this seriously it needs to be um, throughout every aspect of government and we need to be showing how we're considering um, you know those who, 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 who are yet to be born and, um, and setting a vision for the future of Wales. And so the Future Generations Act in 2015 was passed and, and what did it actually demand? What is in the law that created your former office? So first of all, it sets out this overarching principle that um, all of our public institutions, so that's our government, our local authorities, our health boards who run our health services, um, national parks, environment agency, all of our main institutions must demonstrate how they're taking decisions in a way which meets today's needs without compromising the ability of future generations to meet their needs. Um, it then sets out seven long-term well-being goals, and these were kind of co-created with the citizens of Wales. So we pose the question to people in Wales, what's the Wales you want to leave behind to your children, your grandchildren and future generations to come? And what the citizens of Wales told us was formed into seven long-term wellbeing goals, which all of our institutions have to work towards. So it's like a vision for the country, if, if you like. And I, I often say you wouldn't think it was revolutionary for a country to have a long-term vision, but it's completely revolutionary. Mm. There's no other country in the world that has that set out in law. We work on these short-term political cycles. And of course, in New Zealand, they're really short-term three years so it's no wonder that we don't get to these you know tackling these long-term issues um and then it sets out five ways of working that our our institution must show they're adopting 
planning for the long term, so showing they've considered the long term impact of the things that they do, preventing problems from occurring or getting worse, integrating their thinking and actions, so recognising the knock on consequences and connections between things, working together and involving citizens. And then finally, it sets up the office of a future generations commissioner. So my job was to hold the government and our other institutions to account on how they were um, implementing this legislation. All sounds pretty sensible um, and not much in there that I think many listeners could object to. Maybe the biggest objection might be that um, a lot of buzzwords, sounds quite bureaucratic, Uh easy to spend money Mm -hmm. on this office, and then how do you actually turn that into practical, measurable outputs? And and I guess, well, you're the expert to ask on that. How did that go and and was that a challenge? (laughs) Yeah, and I, you know, I, th- I think that that is, um, you know, a fair challenge. I think that, you know, there can be some scepticism, can't there? Of oh, it's, you know, it's going to be another tick box exercise. Yeah. It's going to be another load of, you know, plans for public authorities to write and 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 so on. Um, but actually, what we've seen is some really significant change in Wales in a number of areas. We're still at the beginning of our journey, um, but if we look at the first big test of the legislation, was that government had plans to spend the entire of their borrowing capacity building a thirteen mile stretch. Of motorway to deal with the problem of congestion mm. um, around one of our one of our cities and you know that's a scenario that will probably be um, familiar to, sure. to you and familiar to New Zealanders um, and it's familiar to, to, to cities and, and countries across the world um, the problem with that of course is that if we take a long-term view um, actually you know we build roads and then we fill them again so we never actually solve the problem in 15 years time and this is what the evidence tells us um, because we haven't put in place the measures to enable people to you know do something different as in use public transport or walk or cycle or so on um actually the roads are just as congested so it's a short-term um short-term approach so i i intervened in that and i asked the government to justify to me how they applied the future generations act to that decision and to cut a long story um short they um struggled to provide that justification um, and following that intervention they changed their minds wow. and it didn't stop there um what we then did was to transform the whole um transport strategy for the entire of wales so we um put private car use at the bottom of the list of priorities if you like and put public transport and um, infrastructure for walking cycling and um, you know connecting communities in that way at the top of our priority list we were spending I was challenging the budget on how were they spending sorry challenging the government on how were they spending their budget so on the one hand you know we've got really clear carbon emissions targets that we've signed up to and we've declared a climate emergency on the other hand we were spending two-thirds of our infrastructure investment budget building roads so those two things are not compatible. So my interventions are saying to government, well, show me how you've applied the Future Generations Act to that. Show me how that's in line with carbon targets. Show me how building roads makes sense to meeting the goal of a healthier Wales because we've got an obesity problem and we've got an air pollution problem. And show me how it makes sense to the goal of a more equal Wales because um, we know that lower income families, many don't own a car. Um, and actually public transport investments are the, are the sorts of investments which are much better to tackle those inequalities. So we've transformed the transport strategy. We've gone down from spending two thirds of our infrastructure investment budget on building roads to a third. And that difference has gone into investing in public transport. And then we've um, cancelled uh, 51 out of 55 pre-approved 
road building schemes. We're rolling out a 20 mile an hour zone um, right across Wales as the standard um, speed limit. Um, and we're really trying to put in place a long term approach to modal shift. So that's getting people out of their cars and doing things which is better for human and planetary well-being, which is, um, you know, walking, cycling, public transport. Yeah. And that's just one example. There's many more in terms of how we've reformed our curriculum, how we are um, third in the world for our rates of recycling and are working towards being a zero waste nation because we need to do that if we are to act within planetary boundaries. Um, so there's lots of things that are changing, but still lots more to do. Yeah, I'd never thought about this before, but I imagine an essential element of being a well-being of future generations commissioner is thick skin because you're talking about some projects <laughs> here that, I mean, long-term thinking doesn't necessarily feel intuitively good. Short-term uh, mm-hmm. thinking is satisfying from a purely kind of base level, mm-hmm. right? Let's build a new motorway, get rid of mm-hmm. this traffic. Let's, um, you know, get yeah. to the beach half an hour faster in the holidays. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. So does that... I mean, I'm sure there's no shortage of people willing to paint you as a villain here, the woman who stopped the motorway. Yeah, and, you know, in many cases, that's exactly what's happened. But, you know, here's the rub, isn't it? Um, You know, we... This is not our planet to, you know, trash and destroy. This is our planet to pass on to the to the next generation. And there are many things, you know, including the climate emergency, um, including how well, you know, are we equipping our kids to go into the sorts of jobs that might exist in the future? How well are we equipping them to have, you know, lives well lived? Um, what about income inequality? What about transforming our, our economy so that, um, you know, it's more equal for everyone? Um, those are all issues which I think, you know, many people can agree on. I completely agree that actually, you know, it's it's more difficult when that means their road's going to be cancelled or, um, you know, there's going to be transformations that, um, that perhaps they don't like. People inherently don't like change. But we do have this obligation to be good ancestors. And I think um, that's why a position like the Future Generations Commissioner, um, you know, even if you perhaps don't like some of the changes that are going to have to be made to secure a future for our, our, you know, our our unborn, our next generations, if you like, um, that's absolutely essential in terms of making sure that there is, you know, a planet, a healthy planet for us, you know, for the next generation to, to live on, because politicians, as we know, do not do that um, without that external challenge. I'm talking to Sophie Howe. She was the world's first well-being of future generations commissioner in Wales, and she's here in New Zealand talking about her experiences and talking to the idea of New Zealand having its own commissioner for future generations. She'll be in Auckland, Wellington and Christchurch. Um, It's easy to put off decisions that might give us a better future because of short-term urgency, and there's no shortage of urgent problems, Sophie. So how do you get people to adopt a futures mindset? Well, um, I I think a lot of it is about, you know, setting out a positive vision. You know, if we think about, you know, just like popular kind of culture around the future, if you you know, any future face drama that you might turn on on Netflix, it's all Mm. a dystopian future, isn't it? And, you know, there is a real risk of that. Um, But you know, co-creating with the citizens of Wales, you know, what are the things that are important to you? What are the things that you want to pass on to the next generation? And, you know, what the people of Wales were saying was that it is about our natural assets, much like, 
New Zealand. Wales has rich natural assets. It's a beautiful green uh, country. And we want to make sure that that's not decimated. Um, again, much like the, um, the Maori culture here, our culture and heritage and language in Wales are really, really important. We put some big investments into our language and it's now one of the fastest growing minority languages because we've taken the decision that that's an important thing to pass on to the next generation. So when you set a vision of where you want to be, it's easier to work out what steps you take or you can take to get towards that. It's much more difficult when you're sort of trying to inspire people to take action or sometimes to do difficult things when they're just trying to avoid catastrophe. And I think that that's a lot of the narrative internationally. How do we evolve, you know, avoid this catastrophic event rather than how do we work towards, um, a, you know, a much better world for the next generation? Mm. Wales is just small, three million people. New Zealand mm -hmm. has five million people. Um, we're not the biggest source of the world's problems. So I, I guess the hard question is what difference will long-term thinking make if it's confined to countries like us? Well, I think that, um, you know, there, there's there's a, a nice quote that I heard recently. It was from Christiana Figueres, who's the, um, the person who led the Paris climate change mm. negotiations. And she said, um, we need to ensure that defeatism isn't a new denialism. She was talking about climate, of course, and, you know, perhaps the climate um, deniers of the past who've, you know, led us into this um, predicament that we're in at the moment. But we need to make sure that, um, you know, we're not all saying the scale of the challenge is so big that, well, what what can I do? Well, what can a small country do? And, well, you know, it's, it's, it's up to the others. And actually, you know, what we are showing is that, I think there's a league of small and awesome nations out there. Um, and I think New Zealand could well be one of them. So you do see that it's those small nations like Finland, for example, who always tops the league um, in terms of quality of life, in terms of um, addressing inequality, all of those things. A small nation doing progressive things that the rest of the world often, certainly in Europe, are looking to. I think that there are some interesting things going on in New Zealand in terms of adoption of a, a well-being budget why shouldn't the government be in, be you know mandated and shouldn't have a focus on spending the money for the well-being of its citizens rather than just focusing on economic growth important but you know it's a means to an end so I think that there are lots of things that these small nations um, can drive and from a Welsh perspective you know as you said we're a, a nation of just over three million people but we've been doing some work um, you know communicating what we've been doing on the Future Generations Act um, at a UN level and actually the UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres um, proposed last year that there should therefore be a UN declaration for future generations and the appointment of a UN special envoy for future generations, which is the equivalent of my role, I guess, mm. at the, the UN level. So that is a small nation of just over three million people influencing policy at a global scale. Mm. So never think you're too small. <laughs> You mentioned the well-being budget um, that the Labour government introduced. I wonder if they should have put a commissioner in place to back up some of those ideas, someone to hold the governments and government departments accountable according to that well-being measure. Well, I think that um, that would probably be um, a useful role to put in place. Um, governments marking their own homework often doesn't end that well. The intention <laughs> might be there, but, you know, the system is all constructed against 
against doing all of this. It's constructed to deal with the short term. If you think about even like the performance measures that our health service or our local authorities would have, they're all short term measures. The system isn't joined up. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't work together across departments or across organisations. So I spent a lot of my time as commissioner um, introducing civil servants in one department uh, to civil servants in another department, sometimes banging heads together of people Hmm. who weren't working together, posing those questions of show me the long term trends you've used in this, um, you know, in this policy development um, show me how you're joining the dots between different areas. And I think that government does require that external challenge, no matter how well intentioned they are. And, you know, having a well-being budget and deciding that that is a, you know, something that the government is going to uh, get behind is a really good first step. But I think, you know, a brave government would have some of that external challenge built into the system as well. I think our minds immediately go to climate change when we think about problems that need long-term solutions. But I wanted to ask you about artificial intelligence as well. Is that another mm-hmm. example of where we sort of have a moral obligation to get it right now for people who haven't yet been born? I think you're absolutely right. Um, I think globally um, there is nowhere near enough focus from governments across the world on um, what we need to put in place in terms of AI. And this is a classic example of us thinking, mm, what, oh, it's it's a problem for the future and we don't really know what the solution is, so we'll ignore it um, exactly in the same way as we've done with climate change. Um, I think the issue with AI is, of course, we don't know exactly how it's going to play out. Um, but if we set a vision of a, of a world, a country or a world that we want to create, um, what we can do then is plot um, what protections or mitigations do we need to put in place in order for uh, you know, the wrong sort of thing to be happening? And where are the opportunities in terms of us seizing the power of AI to actually positively progress us towards some of the goals? So things like, you know, preventative healthcare, for example, we probably want to accelerate the role of AI in that. Um, but we do need to guard against and at least have a focus on what are the things that we need to put in place to stop perhaps some of the more dystopian um, possibilities from AI. Do you notice when you look at these issues that will affect future generations that they are interconnected more often than not? They absolutely are. I mean, if if we just if we started from the perspective of um, of climate change and perhaps we look at the connections to um, to health, so. Um, most of our international public health experts, World Health Organization and so on, are now saying some of the biggest threats to um, to human health is planetary health. So there's not lots of analysis to suggest, for example, that there, you know, the, the um, breakdown of our um, ecosystems has the potential to lead to more global pandemics. We know, and if you, you know, you probably only got to open your um, social media mm. feel, uh, um, feed or your newspaper at the moment, perhaps not here in New Zealand where you're in winter, but in mm. many parts of the world, in Europe, for example, all of the front pages of the newspaper are about the hottest days on record. And hot days of the scale that they're in, you know, we're starting to encounter means that people, um, people are going to die. Now, on the one hand, um, we've got a healthcare sector that if it was a country, if you think about those healthcare systems across the world, yeah. it would be the fifth biggest emitter of carbon um, in the world. Um, so on the one hand, we've got that. On the other hand, they're trying to keep people well and treat them when they're ill, but they're actually causing some of the problems that are 
going to make people ill in the first place. So we have to recognise that everything is connected to everything. That's not always easy to navigate, but this is why it requires this whole system thinking um, and a set of kind of aspirations that you're working towards so that individual entities, organisations, departments can plot where those connections are and, you know, from our perspective, have a legal mandate to actually um, to spot them and work together on them. Interesting. You shared a statistic that really stuck with me, which is that, um, you know, it's election year, people are complaining about the state of the New Zealand health system, healthcare system. But in fact, our life expectancy is only by 10% linked to the quality of healthcare. Other things like a good living environment, three times as impactful on your life expectancy and income security and other things that we don't necessarily connect. Yes, that's absolutely right. So the World Health Organization, it's something called the Health Equity Status Report, tells us that um, when we're looking at the differences in life expectancy, um, the biggest things that make the difference are income security and sort of social protection, that, that sort of social safety net for citizens. Um, you know, how are we going to get people out of poverty, for example? And um, 29% is about your living conditions. So the quality of your housing, um, are you living in areas of high air pollution? Do you have access to nature? Is you know, is, is there is your is your community green? Is it is it safe? And then nineteen percent is about living conditions. So um, sorry, not living conditions, social and human capital. So what's the quality of your relationships? Is there a community in the place that that you live? Um, do you have a sense of agency in that community? So I think for a long time, you know, governments have, you know, focused on what's immediately in front of them. You know, how long is it taking you to get an ambulance? How long does it take to, you know, get healthcare treatment and so on? Of course, that's important. But actually, it's the wider things, perhaps the things that governments haven't prioritised like creating cohesive communities, like the way in which we plan, design and build communities, like preparing for the elder, um, the older population and who is going to meet those care needs in the future. It's those things which are actually, in many cases, more important than what the healthcare system itself does. Great to chat to you. Thank you so much for putting it in plain language for us. And we hope that your message is effectively spread while you're here in New Zealand. Sophie Howe, the first Wellbeing of Future Generations Commissioner in Wales and visitor to our country. Thanks so much for your time today. Thanks for having me.